Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. It was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded in a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes." And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants' maids as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me in place of your father and all his household to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, that I have danced before the Lord. And I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I will be abased in my own eyes. But by the maids of whom you are spoken, I shall be held in honor. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. The scene today makes a state fair look tame and tasteful by comparison. The Ark of the Covenant, the very seat of God, has been gone from Israel for a very long time. And for hundreds of years, the nation of Israel has marched behind the Ark. They have followed this holy box that held the Ten Commandments, and they have looked toward it whenever they prayed. But now, in the recent history, the Ark has been captured by foreigners, and it's been forgotten until this new king, David, comes along. And David goes out with a big parade, and he is going to the, bring the ark back to the capital city. He is going to put the seat of God back at the heart of the nation. And when the parade comes back, when the ark reaches the city gates, it's like all heaven breaks loose. You can almost smell the salty, greasy smoke of a thousand animal sacrifices that must have been twitching into every nose. Trumpets and cymbals and drums are crashing into the city walls and they are echoing double, double loud around everyone. People are handing out food in the streets. It is like Mardi Gras. And David, overcome with the moment, strips down to an ephod, a, a priestly loincloth, and he begins to dance. And it's not this small, quiet, little white boy shuffle, but it's a leaping, shouting kind of dance. All of which makes me think that Sometimes we don't really get some of the psalms. I mean, yeah, we get the psalms that are about peace and tranquility, about lying down beside still waters. And last week we remembered that there are a lot of psalms of lament, but then 
there are all those psalms about singing a new song and about making a joyful noise. And we read those psalms in the same tone of voice that we use for the quiet ones. They're the psalms like the one Kat read to us today that goes on to say, lift up the gates of the Lord in the holy city and lift up your heads too. But we tend to read those with our heads bowed and our eyes half closed. But here is David, the greatest psalm writer of all time, absolutely losing his mind for God. And we have a hard time reconciling that kind of worship with the other parts of worship, the parts that are familiar and comforting and predictable. We often put ourselves into camps. One side says that faith is about freedom and enthusiasm. The other says that it is about wisdom and order. And that's why we need David to teach us how to dance. When you read the story, maybe you think this is the kind of dance that can't be taught, that it is spontaneous. But I disagree. Because my experience is that the wildest dancing in the world requires a lot of discipline. If you don't believe me, go to a rock concert. I can remember a long time ago now going to see band Widespread Panic. They were the kind of jam band in the vein of the Grateful Dead or Fish. They love to play these big festivals. I remember going to see them one time and being in a crowd of the folks that we would usually call free spirits. These are the laid back types who want nothing out of life but to be left alone, man. Be free to do what they want. Free to be their own person. But then the music starts and the most amazing thing happens. They all begin to do the hippie dance. If you've never been privileged enough to watch this phenomenon, I'll do my best to, to explain it to you. The hippie dance involves no steps whatsoever. It's really more just a rhythmic leaning. And then once you get comfortable with leaning, maybe you just kind of Lift your arms in the, hair, in the air and wave them like a tree. And that's really all the dance is, just leaning and waving. And everyone who's at a hippie concert doing the hippie dance is doing what comes naturally. They're just letting it all out. But then suddenly you look around and you realize that there are 50,000 people all leaning the same way, waving their hands in the air together. It is 50,000 free spirits doing exactly the same thing. On the other hand, go to a swing class. Teach a bunch of novices one step and maybe three different spins and then let them go. And in the faltering, herky-jerky steps of those people who are just learning to dance, you're going to see more personality than at any rock concert. Different people will favor different moves and they will do them at different times and then they'll get better and they'll get looser until with enough practice and enough discipline, you can get the types of dancers that we used to associate with Gap commercials. People become so wild in their dancing that they can jump and lift and sling each other around with absolute abandon. And at that point, the dancers are anything but dignified. They are, with David, able to take silly chances and to look silly for the sake of the music-making God we worship. And it's the same way in the dance that we call our lives. Last week, we heard from Hebrews and from 2 Timothy that God has called us to self-discipline. But today, I want you to see that this same discipline brings us freedom. And when we use these disciplines that bring us closer to God, when they are so much a part of our life that we don't even think of them anymore, that is when we are most free and most open to God doing something amazing in our lives. I don't want to choose between living a disciplined life and having the freedom to let joy erupt from within. I want to dance like David. 
And worship is the most important dance step we can learn as Christians. It's a dance that we do with and for God. We offer ourselves to Christ and Christ offers himself to us. He becomes the partner that we share in this dance. And I am curious these days, how are you offering yourself when our worship is taking a different shape than it did before? If I can paraphrase a former president, this might be the right time to stop and ask, not what does the service mean for you, but to begin imagining what you can do for our worship. Because I believe even now you can do something for our worship. And the offering that we make to God, the first thing you can do is pray. Pray for the musicians, for the people you can't wait to sit next to, for the online hosts who are taking prayer requests, for the preachers who always need your prayers, lest our egos or our soapboxes get in the way of what God is trying to say. And there's another thing you can do. You can sing. And I know some of you don't need any encouragement But I've heard from some of you that it feels a little silly singing to a screen that can't hear you. But of course, God can hear. And God accepts our praise as a joyful noise. And besides, none of us looks as silly as David did that day in Jerusalem. And there's no one else to notice how silly we look anyway. If we remembered who we are singing for, maybe we wouldn't worry so much. And one more thing you can do is share. Share a link or an invitation. Share the moment in worship that most grabbed your heart or turned you around. Let your whole life be an act of praise long after the service ends. Because as difficult as this moment is in our life together, I also believe with all that I am that we are learning about worship in ways that none of us will ever forget. We will remember this time of worship and what it did for us for the rest of our lives. We've heard not too long ago Jesus tell the woman at the well that true worship is not about the location, but it is about making an offering of spirit and of truth. And we have seen how Peter and John stopped on their way to worship and how they offered what they had to the man who was begging at the temple gates and how what they had was enough to set a lame man leaping right in the middle of the temple. And we have kept finding ways to tell and to hear what God is doing. And I'm so grateful to serve a church that knows the power of worship. If you've gotten any of the updates we've been sharing as a church, you've heard us saying that our online attendance these last few months has been uh, incredibly good and incredibly strong. It's been in this incredibly powerful testimony to the power of worship in our lives. We've had significantly more people worshiping with us online than we had in person last summer. Some of you have even had your doubts about that, so we even showed our math. And if anything, we are counting very conservatively. I'm not at all surprised by your faithfulness. But can I tell you what has surprised us most as your pastors? We have been astonished by when you and we are all worshiping together as a church. When we had to make this move to online worship, we kind of all assumed that most of our video views would come at some time other than Sunday morning. We figured there would be a lot of us who would take advantage of the chance to sleep in, who would play catch-up throughout the week. And by the way, there's no shame in that. My kids were with grandparents last week, so we had to wait to be able to watch worship together as a family. But the most amazing and surprising thing has been the way that we as a church have kept in step with one another in our worship. 
95% of our worshipers are joining us at 1030 each Sunday morning. Even across all that keeps us apart, we are still moving in step with one another. We are a church that knows the power of the discipline of worship. And we've even made a little ritual of these gatherings, and that makes them more alive for us, not less. Dorothy Day once said, Ritual is like the kiss a husband gives his wife in the morning. After days and months and years of that good morning kiss, it's never unexpected. And yet every so often, there slips into that kiss a spark and a reminder of the love that was behind the first one and every kiss since. We need more ritual in our lives, she said. As we have kept coming together again week after week, we do so in the hope and in the certainty that we're going to be able to gather in one place. That day is coming. But we also gather in the hope that even in the meantime, our experience has made this moment feel a little less strange to us each week. And we are becoming a little more free in our worship even now. Hopefully we're becoming like the dancer who no longer has to worry about where he's going to step and can finally listen to the music and look at his partner so that we, in this same way, are finding that even now we can learn to focus on God and not the technical glitch or my stutter or the things we wish were just a little bit better. Around this time of year, there are usually a lot of rituals competing for our attention, for our awe and our adoration. And even if we watch them on a screen, there are fireworks and brass bands and banners and pledges making their claims on our devotion. And we smile and we grill and we sing and we keep the rituals that knit us together as a nation. And as the saying goes, we become what we love and what we take time to adore. But there is no greater love than God's love for us and no allegiance higher than the adoration of our King. And if we are able to offer our whole selves to God, even now there is no telling who we might become. You know, when the disciples met for prayer in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost and they ran into the streets so excited that everyone around thought they were drunk. When was the last time that someone confused your faith for inebriation? When David danced before his ark, before the ark, his own wife scolded him. And I wonder, when was the last time that God made you too excited for polite company? People always misunderstand our celebration, but at least they'll notice it. And they notice now, maybe more than ever, when and how we worship. What if Christians... Instead of being so belligerent or angry at a world that doesn't share our values, we're content to be known instead as the strange, undignified people who know how to celebrate. Then we might have something that would bring others to Jesus. Then we really might be speaking good news. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are so grateful for the generosity of our church. And we pray that in this moment you will Give whatever God has prepared you to. You can make your gift online or by text message or sending a gift into the church. Let us make it a, a gift of gratitude for all that God has given us. And let us offer it with this prayer. Almighty God, we offer you ourselves in so many ways. And we ask that you take every single gift that we surrender to you. And by it, make a way for others to give you praise as well. Amen.